Father, we just come to you once again. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you for one more day, one more opportunity to come together in your name, to praise you, to worship you, and now to sit at your feet and learn of you, Lord. So we commit ourselves, spirit, soul, and body, this place, this time, everything into the hands of Lord. Touch us. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We'll go back to the ministry of the word. You know, before I came here, I I switched on the fan because we needed the fan. But more as an illustration, there are different ways in which we can make that fan go round and round. <coughs> if, you, if you want, you can take a stick and make it go round and round. Yeah, you can put a chair, climb up, and do it with your hand. You can do some, so many ways. But when you switch it on, there's something which you know that you did something, but you know it's not your effort that's making it going round. You know it's not your effort. That's why we come to the hearing of the Word of God, because... Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And when it is faith, you have access to grace. And you know it is not of you. You know you have done something. But the power that flows to achieve whatever God asks you to do, you know it's not yours. It's not yours. You know it is God. Okay? That's why we come primarily for the study of the word of God. If you go to Romans chapter 11, where we have to be very careful about this because there's only one life, one life alone that God accepts. It is the life of faith. He accepts nothing else because when it is a life of faith, it is his grace. And when it is his grace, it is the life of his son through the Holy Spirit. So if you come to Romans chapter 11, and I'll read from verse 17 onwards. Now, but, uh, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive trees, talking about the Jews being cut off, and the Gentiles, us being grafted in, in the new covenant, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches are broken off so that I may be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. He talks about the natural branches and we, not the natural branches. Remember the natural branches, if you look at verse 20, they were broken off because of their unbelief. Unbelief means lack of faith. And we stand because of faith. It's no other. Israel was broken off because of unbelief. They were never, they started in faith, ended in unbelief. God broke them off. And we are standing. He says, you can only stand because of faith. And if you move from faith to unbelief, he says, you too will be 
broken off because then it's not the work of God. It's the work of flesh and God will not accept that. Okay. So because Romba, there are two sides of this because we all look for security in life. We long for it in our homes, in our workplaces, in life. Everybody looks for security. All of the things which we do is connected with security. But above all, there is something which is called eternal security. So we will see this, these two contradicting images in the Bible. On one side, Jesus will say, nobody can pluck you from the Father's hand, my sheep. No, I am the good shepherd who lays the life for the sheep. All that is talking about eternal security. Okay, if I go, I will come back. I'm preparing a place for you. It's all talking about eternal security. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will not be put to shame, all that. So out of that, we have a theology which, which in short says, once saved, always saved. Okay, that's from, they have scriptures, which is on one side true, one side, one side of it is true. Then you look at the other side of it, which you, if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, 24, and verse 16, uh, sorry, 13. But one, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Okay, then that Bible talks about enduring till the very end of your life in faith, continuing in faith till the very end, you will be saved. If you go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, again, Hebrews, towards the end of your Bible, Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 12 onwards, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Okay, but unbelief will come Faith goes away. You fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed, that's verse 14, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So there is these two sides. One, it talks about Jesus' promises, which gives us this confidence of eternal security. The other side, scripture talks about you have to endure till the very end. You have to hold your confidence till the very end. So how do you put this together? Okay. And one of the essential markers of saving faith is it, it endures till the end. That faith endures till the end. Like an old-time preacher put it this way. One saved, forever following. Forever following. Like illustration-wise, the evidence of saving faith, enduring faith, <clears throat> is not the intensity of the emotion at the beginning. It is the endurance over time. Like... You don't judge a marriage by the grandeur of the wedding ceremony. But the endurance of the life that follows afterwards. That's why we say wedding is for a day, marriage is for a lifetime. 
So you don't judge a marriage by the wedding. Don't judge a marriage by the wedding. You judge the marriage by the endurance of the life that is lived later. Like I said, that's why we constantly gather, we study personally, we hear, we listen, we encourage one another. We gather for the for the hearing of the word because faith comes from hearing. Let's go back to that question or the prayer, the request of Jesus' disciples in Luke chapter 17, verse 5. We know it. We have looked at it in different contexts. So the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Okay? So they are saying, please, increase. it should be our prayer. Lord, increase. It's not enough because to enduring faith of a faith needs to keep on increasing because the tests and the trials the enemy brings, the system brings, the flesh brings, and God allows will be only more. It won't be less. So we have to keep increasing our faith. So in verse 5, they will pray. And if you look at the context in verse uh, 3 and 4, Jesus says, Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day, turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And that's when the apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. And then if you look at verse 6, the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Okay, keep that in your mind. If you want to keep a finger there, and then go to Matthew chapter 17. Different context in which Jesus is speaking. Matthew chapter 17. And we look at verse 19 and 20. This is the incident when Jesus was up in the mountain, and uh, they brought this boy who had this demonic spirit, who was having that epileptic fits, and they couldn't heal him. So when Jesus came, he could. In verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. He said, Now you, you could do many things with the amount of faith you had, but when you were confronted with something bigger than your faith could handle, you couldn't handle it. Why? Because you had not increased your faith. Please understand this. That's why we have to continue in faith because life is going to throw challenges, especially for the believer. Okay, believer. And especially for the believer, there's only one way God will accept victory. It is the victory of faith. Okay, that's what Paul will say at the end. I have fought that fight. That is the fight of faith. And he is victorious at the end in that because he kept his faith. He endured till the end. So they couldn't because the faith had an increase to handle that situation. So personalized in certain situations, we fail because our faith did not increase for that. Okay. He said, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So in both cases, he uses the term mustard seed. Different, okay? So if you put both these contexts together, Jesus is teaching us something about faith, okay? First, you need to understand... <clears throat> It's not easy to uproot a mulberry tree. Like now you can go Google it. Okay. The reason is there are different kinds of trees in which the root structures are different. Mulberry trees, um, uh, what um, root structure doesn't go straight down. It spreads. It spreads. 
and any trees which uh, where the root spreads it's very difficult to uproot it okay it's very very i um, mean you remember this is talking at a time there is no dcv no uh, earth mover okay simple people simple time simple tools and it is not possible okay to uproot it easily you can cut it but uproot it is not easy at all second you cannot technically plant a mulberry tree in the bottom of the sea okay it is not going to be planted there it is not going to grow there it is not going to survive there simply because there is no even soil there the bottom of the sea there is no sunlight there is no soil okay you cannot plant it there and expect it to grow second third thing forget a mountain it's almost impossible to move a hill move a hill i mean you some of you need i mean some of the men do it but you know we see these videos of these powerful missiles and all that you say wow the power of it but you actually see the testing sites in us and all when they test sites you know this missile that looks so huge and powerful when they are shown to us in isolation and actually you see it in testing ranges when it hits a mountain it just makes a little hole over there just makes a little hole over there that's all okay that's all and you know the biggest most massive bomb us has discovered the bunk that no that's a missile the bomb no the bunker buster big ones you will see when they dropped it couple of times in afghanistan and all a few caves went a little part of the mountain got rattled by this thing but it doesn't so when jesus is talking about when he's talking about moving a mountain okay uprooting a mulberry tree planting a mulberry tree it's not literally talking as we need to do that because it makes no difference to us what's the point what are you going to get if you plant a mulberry tree in the sea uh then put it in your resume and facebook and brag i planted one it's going to do nothing basically he is saying through faith trust in god you can make those impossible situations in your life possible okay now let us be very <coughs> practical impossible it could be very deep rooted hatred in life like the mulberry or a deep rooted sin in your life okay or a mountain like problem that doesn't seem to be moving at all making no effect all your prayers is making no effect on it at all or planting something where it looks there is no soil it's no response it's nothing to plant there remember isaac's hundredfold he planted he literally if you look at it figuratively planted the mulberry bush in the seabed it was absolutely dry it was famine there was nothing god told him to plant and he planted it by faith so you have examples in the bible so that's why jesus is talking about faith in god what is impossible with man is possible with god okay possible with god and that's how it works if you look at romans 5 2 we know by faith we have access to grace and peter 5 6 we know god gives more grace to the 
humble. Okay, please understand this. These two are interconnected. Faith and humility, grace and the glory of God. God gets the glory. You know, God has done it. It's like that. There are so many ways to turn a fan. And there is one way to turn a fan without knowing it is not you who did it. Okay, it's only one way. Okay. <clears throat> humility says, I need help. Faith says, I trust God for that help. That's how it goes together. Humility says, I need help. We all struggle with that. You know, the the first things you know a child is growing up is that, no, I can do it by myself. You know, the flesh is taking over. Humility is going. I don't need your help. I don't need your help. Okay, and you don't, we don't realize everybody is stuck in this rut. I need your help. That's humility. And faith says, I trust God for that help. And then the power of God comes in. So if you go back to that portion we had looked, remember, quite some time back in Second Peter chapter 1. Chapter 1. And verse 5, <clears throat> remember, his promises everything. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with... Now, eight things are mentioned over there. You remember, every time it begins with faith. It doesn't begin with the other things. It begins with faith. Because when it begins with faith, then all these things, even when it is worked in our lives, God is the source. <clears throat> If you put virtue first and faith second, then you are the source of even your faith because your virtue caused faith to come. If you look at Corinthians 13, 13, you know, he says of these three, faith, hope, and charity, the greatest uh, is charity. But in the order, faith is mentioned first. Order, faith is mentioned. But if you put charity first and faith second, then where did the charity come from? It's your charity and because you are so loving, God gave you faith. No doesn't work like that. Now, if you look in the order in Thessalonians, when Paul talks about the work of faith, the labor of love, and the hope of patience, even there in the order, faith is put first. Because when faith is put first, its source is God. Because there is virtue in the world. There's virtue in the old man. There's knowledge in the old man. All these things are there in the old man. But one thing the old man doesn't have is faith. So when you put faith at the top, the source is God. The source is God. And then you put, add all these things, then you realize it is the grace of God that is working over it. Working over it. Okay? Now, there it talks about virtue. Virtue is very, very rarely used in the Bible. It's either translated as power or goodness. Okay? Virtue went out of Jesus and the lady was healed. So other translations will use the term power. Okay, in other places it will be used as goodness, okay? So you add goodness to faith, virtue to faith. We'll leave that aside. The second one it says, we have to add knowledge to virtue. Okay, knowledge to virtue. And God is very clear. And when you're talking about knowledge, all of you kids or all of you are studying, except for Pastor Vijay and I, were exclusively studying the word of God because we are what we call full-time. Though we read other stuff and watch other stuff, you are exclusively set apart the knowledge, acquiring the knowledge of God. Well, most of you are acquiring knowledge in other ways. 
but that's not the knowledge what God is talking about. God is talking about the knowledge of God. So when scripture Peter says in his final verse, go grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of God. And God says, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. Primarily that knowledge of the creator. If you go to Acts chapter 17, just an aside, Acts chapter 17. Okay. Because let me tell you, when you read scripture, you will always have to read with ears and eyes of faith, saying, Lord, I humble myself before your word. Speak to me. Speak to me. And then the word will start speaking to you. Okay, God doesn't, does not speak to the proud who tries to apply that intelligence to the word of God. Okay? Yeah, Acts chapter 17, you come to verse 26. Loudly, loudly. And yeah. made from one man hmm. every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and, and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not not far from each other, each one of us. It's an incredible statement that Paul makes. He has made from one man every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. With this hope, each one will search and find him. Meaning, everybody God has determined when you will be born, where you will be born, how long you will live. He's already determined it all. With the hope, you will seek him and find him. And yet, he's not far away from anybody. Okay. Every human being from Adam till the last man, everything has been determined by God. And the times have been determined, places have been determined. There is no accident that is happening in your life. Everything has been determined by God. With this hope that you will seek him and find him. And he's very close. He's not very far away. And the only way you can seek him is by humbling yourself to God. Boundaries have been set. Times have been allotted. And the purpose is that you would find him. Okay. So then the minute you know that you've been set in time, you've been set in places, it's all been set by then, you, you also, after you find him initially, you also realize, I need to fulfill that purpose. God doesn't do anything in accident. That is his purpose. Okay, I need to fulfill my purpose. And that is what faith is all about. I fulfill God's purpose. And what is grace all about? It is the power of God to fulfill purpose. And it is not possible to do God's purpose with man's skill and ability. Then it is not grace. For there is, God is not glorified. Because God has made it very clear, no flesh will glorify before God. No man will boast before God. Let's let's look at examples, okay? If you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, somebody can open Philippians 3, and somebody else can take Acts chapter 22. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 to 7. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal of persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law of blameless. Mm. But whatever gain I had, I had till seven, okay? Yeah, mm. I, I had counted as loss 
Okay. Now Acts 22 verse 3. I am indeed a Jew. Born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Taught according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. Okay. This is Paul talking. This is Paul's resume. Actual resume. This is Paul's resume. He said, this is who I am. This is who my master was. This is how I was taught. This is how educated I am in the law. Now look at another person, Paul, Peter's resume. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. 4, 1, 3. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated Okay. What is his resume? Uneducated, different versions. Uneducated, untrained, unlearned, ignorant, unschooled, common man. What is Peter's resume? Uneducated, unlearned, common man. What is Paul's resume? Educated, perfect in the law, righteous, incredible teacher. This is his law. Now we turn to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 8. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 8. And somebody can pick Romans 11. And what? He who worked through Peter mm -hmm. for his apostolic ministry mm -hmm. to the circumcised mm -hmm. worked also through me mm -hmm. for mine to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. Now verse, Romans 11 verse 13. Anybody got Romans 11? Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as an, an apostle to the Gentiles. Gentiles. I magnify my ministry mm -hmm. in order somehow Jealous. Okay, that's enough. Okay, that's enough. Now you think about reasonably. Think about it. Does it fit with the reason? Here is Paul, incredibly in the law, educated in the law, fantastic in the law, he sent to the Gentiles. Here is Paul, Peter, unlearned, unschooled, common man, sent to the law. Why? Because Paul will have to humble himself because the Gentiles don't understand anything about the law. He cannot preach to them until he receives from God. All his schooling, all his education, all the skills he has acquired is absolutely of no use. Without grace, he's a failure. Understand? So Paul will know. It's the work of God. It's not me. Because I cannot speak to them. Like, I could speak to you yesterday because you're English speaking on Shakespeare or Nazi rhymes. You think next Sunday the Nepali crowd have Humpty Dumpty? They don't know who Humpty Dumpty is. They don't know who Humpty Dumpty is. They don't know any of those things. Now, Peter is standing behind the Sanhedrin and all these guys who are, all, who are memorized the Torah. They breathe Torah. And this guy is ignorant. And what is the only way he can stand before them? In humility, by faith, Lord, when I open my mouth, you will give me utterance. Okay. Please understand this is the fact of life. When you do something which you are very qualified in the flesh to do, God gets no glory. And that's not faith. That's not faith. That is sight. That is sight. I'm not saying that you should, I mean, I mean, you, this is where faith, you apply faith into your day-to-day -day work, where it doesn't matter how good you are, you still go back to God and you say, Lord, I need you. Especially if you're really good at your work, you need him even more. 
so that you don't by default go back. See, the calling of God for everyone, like Paul will say, is high. Because he is high. It's a high calling. And without faith, it is impossible to reach that calling. Because it is the work of God. Everything of God is related to faith. Everything of God. That's why we can be naturally, naturally be skilled, talented. Like, let's say, now, Peter is here, Raj is here, Vijay is here. I'm talking about those who sing. Rachel is here. No? Those who can gifted. You can be as gifted as you want. You can be practiced as much as you want. Without humility, anointing will not flow. And without anointing, it's just an entertainment service. You felt good? Awesome. Yoke's broken? No. This is, this is, I mean, you could be the best employee in your company. Company gets profited. They give you the, this, they put your picture also over there. <laughs> best employee of the, but the question is, did your employer recognize like Joseph, your God is with you? Did your employer recognize your God is with you? It's a Gentile. All his three, let us, put in terms, employers, recognized his God is with him. Whether it was Potiphar, the prison warden, or Pharaoh. It's why? Because he's doing a work like everybody else, but he's doing a work by faith. Jesus was incredibly humble, and he trusted his father alone. He says, I will not do anything on my own. The son does does only what the father does. He will only speak what the father says, and you know it. He prays every morning, crying to the father. He's humble. He trusts his father. And the incredible people in the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus, all comes in the night because they realize this man's ministry is different. And the people recognize he teaches with authority. They what? Jerusalem is full of teachers. What was the difference? The difference was the grace that was flowing. And when grace flows, it is the work of God. It is not the work of man. That's why we all struggle with this. Our constant prayer should be, Lord, increase our faith. And faith comes from? And hearing from the word of God. It comes from hearing. It's not, it, it, I always, when I go to these places, you know, it's, I love the people God sends to me. Sometimes I ask why, but I love them because they are simple, they are poor. Many of them cannot read. Okay, and I always tell them, don't you like it? God says faith comes from hearing. Half the world is cancelled out. They can't read. What a gracious God. A gracious. What if it is written, faith comes from studying? Half the world doesn't read. They don't go to school. All CMs are not Kejriwal. <laughs> who invest in education. Hmm? Not. They don't want people to be educated because if people educate, get educated, they won't vote for you. And religion is primed in such a way that you don't read your scripture. Read your scripture. It is. That's why Hindu scriptures is written in Sanskrit, which 99% of the population doesn't read. And Islamic scripture is written in Arabic. Two-thirds of Muslims don't read Arabic. 
And as soon as the Catholic Church took over the church, they translated scripture into Latin and saw that nobody knew Latin. Nobody knew Latin. And when we all grew up in our churches, how was the service? It was in Syriac and nobody understood Syriac. So a set of people, so that's in literature when we study, we call it the tyranny of language, how language is used to oppress a set of people so they never know the truth. So that's where Martin Luther came in, and the first thing he did is translated the Bible into the common man's language. First revolution was man could read scripture again in his own language. Second thing, Gutenberg comes and it is printed out. These two things change history. Because now, you have access to the word of God on your own. As God had said, he will speak to everybody. Everybody. So you need to understand religion is not your friend. They don't want you to know God. Religion is about control. Well, faith is about liberty. And faith comes from hearing. hearing. And hearing from the word of God. In Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, we know it very well. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts as high as the heavens is. Right? What does it mean? It means with the best of earthly wisdom, you can never understand God's thoughts or his ways. The best. The best. Like if you notice the news, uh, news like, no? It's a strange news. Like, for the past few months, I don't know how many months, every 16 days, there is a radio wave, same message coming from a planet which is half a billion light years away. Same message from outer space coming every 16 days. It reaches Earth through the signals. They are picking it up. You can't even read that message. Forget it. Some, some star, some radio signal is coming. With all your technology, you have no clue what it is. And you're trying to figure out God. It's impossible. It is impossible. Unless God speaks. Unless God reveals. That is why it is. No man has ever known God except Jesus. And we will all take all of eternity still knowing God. It's good to begin now. Okay. The problem is. We are ignorant about God's ways unless God shows and we ask. That's why this Moses prayer is so incredible. The wisest man probably living at that time comes before God and humbles and says, why I say he was the wisest man, uh, because not just because of uh, uh, Acts chapter 7 verse 21, which says uh, Moses was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. But let me ask you this question. Have you found, Pastor Vijay will probably give you the percentage also, of all the Nobel laureates, who are the maximum? Jews. So this is a Jew trained in Egypt's wisdom. It's not an Egyptian trained in Egyptian. This is a Jew. So he's definitely the smartest. Because his genetic makeup is that. Okay. This is not an Egyptian in the Egyptian university, the best. This is a Jew in the Egyptian university. So definitely he was the smartest, the wisest guy walking on earth. Humbles before God and prays this prayer, Lord, teach me your ways. I don't know. All my knowledge, understanding is irrelevant. I, ca I cannot know you through that. Teach me your ways. Show me your ways. Okay, so in this walk of faith, 
we have to know God's ways. We have to understand God's power. We have to understand God's timing. Young people sitting here, all these things, God's ways, God's timing, God's power. Okay, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 7, the same chapter I said about, okay, Acts chapter 7. Look at this. If you go to 7 and you come to verse 22, okay, the Pharaoh's daughter had adopted him, that's 21, brought him up as her own son. Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in his words and deeds. Okay? Absolutely. He thought he was qualified. Uh, he, 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 knew, he understood his call. He knew his call. Okay? When he was 40 years old, it came to, into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. Did you see that? They did not understand the call of God upon his life. Is the call of God upon his life? Yes. Why didn't they recognize the call of God? Because it was not the time. And he did not know the ways of God. He didn't understand the ways of God. He didn't understand the time of God. He didn't understand the power of God. He, he had a call which was genuine. But he messed up the call completely because he did not know God's ways. He did not know God's power. He did not know God's timing. Next time you see this man, he's 40 years older. Everybody knows the story very well. He has no strength, no power, no wisdom of the world, nothing. And at 80, he's totally weak, entirely dependent on God to fulfill the same vision. The call and the vision had never changed. Never, never changed. Now, Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3 will describe Moses at 80. What does it say? Numbers 12, 3. What does it say? Very meek means very, very humble, more than all the people. Okay, whom does God give grace to? Now you suddenly realize he has understood God's ways. He's God's, God's power. Timing is right because he has become the meekest. And now Israel will be brought out from point A to point B. It will be the work of God. It will not be the work of Moses. Moses will never glory in it, but God will always find glory in Moses. On the other hand, at 40, the call was still there. The vision was still the same. You will deliver Israel out of Egypt. The call was there. The vision was there. He did not know God's ways. He did not know how God's power works. It only works in the meek and in the humble because God will be glorified. He did not know God's timing. God gives grace to the humble. And in James chapter 1, God was working something in him. If you look at James chapter 1. Verse 2 and 3. Yeah. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Mm -hmm. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
It is producing perseverance, steadfastness, endurance. Different translations will use different words, meaning the same thing. It was producing in Moses what? Endurance. Now, if you read uh, Hebrews 11 and verse 27, again about Moses. I say he forsook Egypt, mm-hmm. not fearing the wrath of the king, mm-hmm. for he endured as seeing him who is Ah, so God was working, God was working some, it's not enough that you need faith. You need faith that will endure till the end. Remember, he who endures till the end will be saved. God was, see, through all these people, though their faith was connected with temporary things, temporal things or not, God was working through them to show us that if you don't endure till the end, you will not be saved. Your faith has to endure till the end and every trial you're going through in your life, in your homes, in your relationships, in your office is all connected with faith. Will you endure? 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 And Moses endure till the end. 40 years, another 40 years, another 40 years, 120 years. He's still walking with God because only who endures till the end. And in the process, Moses is growing and growing and growing and growing in his faith. Initially, please don't, I mean, you could, if you really read, you will get so surprised with Moses. Is he really the guy who brought these people out of Egypt? Where is his faith? Because it's a process. And God is very patient with any man, any woman, any child who is on the road to faith. He's got terrible issues with unbelief. Because unbelief is questioning his integrity of who he is. But he doesn't have issues with people who struggle with faith, who believe but they struggle. Because the struggle is with themselves, not with God. Like Gideon struggles. Show me, show God, it's no problem. It's okay. One, two, three, four. Okay, go down and here. It's okay. But unbelief is a different thing. Unbelief is your questioning who God is and his integrity and his power and his character, everything. So unbelief and struggling in faith are two different things. So most of the struggle, I'll show you something. Come to the book of Numbers. It's very interesting. Numbers chapter 11. Remember those guys who were hungry for fish and leeks and garlic and kakadi and all that, guys? So they were tired of the manna. Okay, and they wept, and Moses said, don't, we want to look at all that things Moses said, he's also upset, why did you bring me, am I their mother, I can't carry them, I am tired of them, why don't you kill me, you listen to his words, you'll say, is this the guy who did all these things in Egypt, and parted the Red Sea, and all, you really hear his words, you'll, you'll love him, we haven't read these things, what we say, closely, if you really closely, and you read this, read verse 14, I cannot carry all these people by myself, the burden is too heavy for me, if this is how you are going to treat me, put me to death right now. And if I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. Did you ever experience anything Moses in your life? Imagine what all God has done through him. Okay, So he's going to a real crisis of faith. But let's leave all that alone. Let us look at what God says. Okay, Come to verse 18. I'm reading from NIV. Okay. Tell the people, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow, when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wail, if only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it just for one day, or two days, or five, or ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils. And you will loathe it, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wailed before him, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? It was just like 
when I went on this trip because you're in this country and for the first time on my own I had to go to KFC because I know because KFC is American at least that animal will be chicken <laughs> I know it is not cat I know it is not anything I know chicken is chicken so I said I ate enough meat for the whole year because I couldn't trust, because you don't get vegetables there, only meat, only meat, only meat. I think they all came from the wilderness. <laughs> okay. Who among you and have whale before him? Why did we ever leave Egypt? Okay. God says, I'm going to do something before your eyes. You're going to eat meat. Not for one day, not for three days, not for seven days, not for ten days, not for twenty days, or thirty days, one full month. 30 days, non-veg diet. Three days. You will be so sick of meat. Listen to Moses, okay? Verse 21. Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And you say I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Hey, come on. You must be kidding. We are 600,000 men, plus women and children. And we are in the wilderness. They remember, if you remember the previous chapter, they are parked in the desert of a Paran. We are 600,000 men in the desert, deep in the desert, plus women and children. You kidding me? You're going to give us meat for 30 days? That's right, no? Is this Moses? Okay, meat for a month, for 30 days? Words 22. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Okay, we have flocks and herds which we brought from Egypt. But even if we kill all of them, maybe one week, meat would be over. Because a couple of million people, two million people, 25 lakh people, all the flocks we brought, if we eat, could it be seven days, ten days, a maximum maybe 15 days. He's calculating. Remember the disciples, let us feed them. Oh, six months wages and five loss. Okay, it's the Moses brothers there. Okay, <laughs> the same thing. Okay, 30 days. Like I said, no. Or fish, if you know, Desert of Paran, it's like around 50 miles away. If you walk 50 miles and we were to catch, would they, would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? Now the question is, the issue is not Moses, the issue is us. We all struggle with this when our vision is limited by flesh. We all struggle. Anything. Struggle. We are constrained. We say it's okay one day, two days, one year, like last pastor's conference also, somebody came and said, Pastor, why do you have to give an offering? I said, because the Lord told me. Ah, oh, I said, in ten years he's been faithful. Ten years. So when it goes for ten years, it has to be God, right? <laughs> it can't be man, right? It has to be God. Because he said something, right? And how do you stop until he says stop it? So that's Moses is struggling. One day is okay, seven days, thirty days. Even if you slaughtered all our cattle, all our herds, it's not possible. Even if you were to catch all the fish, it's not possible. We all struggle. Look at God in verse 23. Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? In other words, he says, the only thing that can shorten my arm is your unbelief. Is the Lord's arm too short? And we shorten God's arm by unbelief. Any situation in your life, the only thing that can shorten God's arm, shorten meaning like Raj tried to hold my hand, okay? Now you can't reach. 
can't reach. He's going, why? Because my hand is short, his hand is short. Now, supposing my hand is long, it doesn't matter how short his hand is. His hand is not going to lengthen. He's imagining my hand is long, can reach. Okay, that's what he says. You shortened. He said, Israel in another situation, your father shortened my arm by their unbelief. My hands were stretched out, but he couldn't reach because you didn't believe me. You think I can't do this? You think I can't do this? Now you go to verse 31. How God did. We are leaving all the other stuff in between because all different things are happening at the side. Okay? Verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to, and I will put it very clearly, three feet above the ground. As far as a day's walk in any direction. One meter. One meter. Three feet is like one meter. A day's walk in Hebrew calculation is 15 miles. That is 25 kilometers in any direction. Okay. In any direction you want, 25 kilometers you walk and you have one meter high, three feet high. What? Great. Great. And they are in the desert. Now, why did why is these things all written? It's just has examples to those upon whom the end of ages has come. God is saying, you see, whatever you are facing in your life, don't shorten my hand by your unbelief. Don't shorten my hand. Go back into the history because by faith we join ourselves with their histories, our history, because we are spiritual Jews. Their history is our history because their God is our God. Like I said about Ruth on um, the pastor's conference. Okay, that's what Ruth did. Ruth will never listen to, never speak about us. Doesn't make the, the point in Moab. She makes a statement: "Your God, my God. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I live. Where you die, I die." She identified completely with Naomi and Naomi's God because Naomi is the believer. Ruth is the Moabite. Okay. And God has said a Moabite cannot enter into his congregation for ten generations. And she identifies so completely with Naomi from the time she steps into Israel, you will see she doesn't do one thing other than what Naomi tells her. So she's not living her life. Naomi is living her life through Ruth because Naomi is a proud woman. She doesn't want to show her face, say, I goofed up. So she's using Ruth. But God, she doesn't realize God is using Naomi to redeem the end of Ruth chapter 4, the people of the country come and say, Naomi, you are redeemed. But actually Ruth is redeemed. But how is Naomi redeemed? Because Ruth has completely identified herself with Naomi. So Ruth's redemption is Naomi's redemption. And then Ruth marries Boaz and Ruth has a baby. And when the baby is, the people say, Naomi has a baby. They don't say Ruth has a baby. So Ruth's identity is completely submerged in Naomi and therefore she enters into the congregation of God because she is not a Moabite. By her faith, she is an Israelite. By her faith, she is an Israelite. Okay, This is how you need to understand. Faith means we submerge our identity completely with Christ. Completely with Christ. You hear, you do. You hear, you do. You hear, you do. Ruth heard, she did. Ruth heard, she did. It was like, Naomi, what we say in English, vicariously living through Ruth. Living through Ruth. Okay? And that's the only life God accepts. 
And scripture says in verse 31 that it was a wind from the Lord. It was a supernatural move of God. Because quail don't come like that. Wind. See. Because when God does something, he usually does in such a way that you know it is only God. It's only God. You get it? When God has something in your life or through you, it will be done in such a way that people will know it is only God. It's not you. It's not your skill. It's not your talent. It's God. That's how God does stuff. When God does something, it will be very clear. It is God who did it. Doesn't matter who does it through. When David did, killed Goliath, the whole world knows it was God. It is God. You know, when Gideon defeated the Midianite army, we know it is God. It is God. Okay. So that's where faith comes in. Though we use the faith, the work is done by grace. You pressing the switch enough, you're not going to make anything happen unless there is power. <laughs> there is power. Switching itself has got a faith in itself has nothing. Genuine faith, grace flows in. When grace flows in, it is so it is not faith that saved you. It is grace that saved you. It's not faith that has healed you. It is grace that came through that healed you. Though scripture will Jesus will say, Faith healed you. But if faith healed you or grace healed you. What if scripture is written, the woman touched Jesus and no virtue flowed? Would she be healed? It's her faith, but virtue flowed. It is virtue that healed her. It's the power of God that healed her. Okay, so it's grace. You're justified by faith. So does your faith justify you or it's grace that justifies you? It's grace that justifies you. Go to Matthew chapter 15. Very familiar verse. We know it well, but good to open our Bibles once in a while. Yeah, 15 and words 28. Remember the Canaanite woman? whose daughter was ill, begs, 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 finally gets her answer. And when she gets, this is what Jesus answered. O woman, great is your faith. Be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Great is your faith. Because faith brings the grace. Spurgeon said this beautifully. He said, Jesus could have said, great is your love. Because it is the love for her daughter that brought her to that level. Right? She really loved her daughter. Humbled herself because she was miss, willing to go to any extent because she loved her daughter. But Jesus did not say, great is your love for your child. The disciples wandered her away. Everybody said, sent her away. Jesus kind of directly, indirectly called her a dog also. She didn't go. She persevered. Jesus could have said, great is your perseverance. Did he say that? No, he didn't. Right? Jesus said, bread is for the dogs. And she gave an incredibly smart answer. He said, even dogs eat crumbs from the... Jesus did not say, great is your wisdom. Our problem is with this. Our, our actual problem is this is because when we do something, we want to be appreciated for these things. And we don't want to be appreciated of faith because if it is faith, it's only God and it's not us. 
That's our issue with walking with God. Because God only appreciates faith. And if it is faith, it is not you and me, it's God. Everything else, it's me. If he says, great is your wisdom, I am wise. Great is your talent, I am talented. Great is your perseverance, see, I am a man of endurance. Great is your faith, great is God. I'm telling you fundamentally, this is the issue of the Christian within the church. We want to be complimented and God says, no flesh will ever receive glory because you can do nothing on your own. Without me, you can do nothing. The flesh thrives on compliments. Faith gives glory to God. That's why Jesus only complimented faith. Because when you compliment faith, glory goes to God. It doesn't go to man. It doesn't go to man. No, what is the point if you say, oh, great is that switch? Great is that switch. Does it know? How great is that switch? No. He don't say. He say, thank you, Lord, for the power. Understood? You look through the Bible. Jesus, does he compliment people for anything? He doesn't. Go through the Bible and see, does he really compliment people for anything? No. No, other than faith, no. And we want compliments. But the compliment you receive is a compliment for your flesh. What you struggled in your flesh and achieved in your flesh and God gets no glory of it. It will be all destroyed by fire. Nothing will remain. What construction do we know about before Genesis 6? Nothing. We only have one construction. That is Noah's Ark, built by faith. We don't know anything. What musical instrument survived the flood? We don't know. They have built cities and no, they build cities, they made instruments, they build all kind of things they did. Nothing survived after judgment because it was not built by faith. God had no glory in it. It was done by man. God brought glory, only one man's construction, which was built by faith. He had to hear care carefully and do it exactly. That survived the flood. It is sitting on top of the ark. Even now they say it's somewhere there in Turkey. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. But the fact that it survived because it was done by faith and it was God who did it. We struggle with this because flesh longs for recognition. That's why the question is, will your faith endure? Because a lot of people give up because they get no compliments in the kingdom of God. They give up. They don't. And God allows them to give up. From faith should flow everything. Then we will know it is God and God will give glory. But faith, like we said, should not stand on its own. It will not endure. Remember, First Peter chapter 1, 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 5. Different things are added over there. Add to faith what? Virtue to virtue. Add, 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 add. No, keep on adding, keep on adding because this is what will make faith endure. Faith endure. It will endure till the end. If you come to verse 10, what does scripture say? Uh, if you practice these qualities, if you keep on increasing your faith and adding to your faith, increasing your faith, adding to your faith, what will happen? You will endure. 
You will endure till the end. And in verse 8 it says, if you have these qualities, if these qualities are yours are increasing. What are these qualities? It starts with faith. With faith. Increasing faith. It's increasing. It's increasing. It's increasing. Increasing. You know, it's like going to the gym. How do you know your strength has increased? Because your trainer increases the weight. Increases the weight. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't allow you to do anything. He first checks you out and then he increases the weight. Okay, and if you can't, he takes it off immediately because he knows it will damage your bones, your muscles. He increases the weight and that's how you know. And how do you know faith is increasing? Because God increases the trials. He increases the test. And how are you going through this? How do you come out through this? How do you come out through this? It's it's increasing. It doesn't decrease. It doesn't decrease. It increases. Right? Moses was first opposed only by his brother and sister. It was a family matter. It was a family matter. You face your trial in your family. Then he was opposed by 350 elders in the church. It was a church leadership matter. Then he was opposed by the whole congregation. Now it was the entire church matter. Did he stand? He stood. Did God allow it in one day? No. He says, as your faith is increasing, I'm testing you. Will you stand? He stood. And he stood. Did he come out purer and better and more loving? Yes. He said, don't kill them. Kill me. Don't take them out. God giving him an Abrahamic promise. Move them out. I'll start all over with you. Then it would have been called the father of faith is Moses, not Abraham. It would have changed completely. One tribe, Levi, became many tribes through Moses. It would have been a different history altogether. I don't know how world history would have been written. It would have been a different history. But he didn't. So he came out. Not that he won the battle of faith. He came out as the grace of God was working in different ways. And that's what God is talking about. This is why we study the word of God. Because everything you read, hear, understand, life has to be seen in the eternal perspective. That's why scripture says, think of the things that are above, not things that below. But the things below are passing away. But the things that are coming are eternal. Okay? And as, that's why when Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added. This is a new covenant principle and uh, the old covenant examples. Okay? That is how you buy faith. By faith, you put the kingdom of God first. You put it first. As young people, you put it first. But the problem is how the deceptive teaching came in is that they took this teaching of putting the spiritual eternal first and applied it to temporary things which only relate to the body. And in the old covenant, body was very important because salvation they are not sure of. They did not know about heaven. Very few people knew. They did not know about eternity. Where does the, even Solomon says, where does the soul go? I don't know. They were not sure. But we here, we are very clear. This life is nothing. That is where everything, everything is clear in the new covenant. So the danger happens when you take eternal perspectives of the new covenant and they teach you from the old covenant and apply it and suddenly you are gung-ho applying faith for the temporal body which is perishing. But if you know how to apply it properly, you will realize how faith works. Let's go to Chronicles. Okay? Final object lesson and then we will close. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 26. Okay, Second Chronicles chapter 26 verse 5. 
It's talking about a king called Uzzah. It's very simple, very simple line. Powerful line. There's so much you could preach on that one word for the pastor's conference. He sought God during the days of Zechariah. Who instructed, NIV will say in the fear of God, but uh, most translation will say who had knowledge of the visions of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. See, the problem is when we seek God, we think we are doing God a favor without realizing. <laughs> it's the other way around. It's the other way around. Okay, It's a very powerful verse. Okay, Now, if you look at it, he had a good mentor, godly man called Zachariah, prophet called Zachariah, who taught him the, about the things of God, the visions of God. Okay, How does God's kingdom, the principles of God, what is the nature of God, what is his character like? And that cost him hunger. He sought God and all the days he sought. Okay, scripture says very clearly over like he sought God during the days. And as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And if you want to look at success in temporal ways in his, in his time, look at verse six. He went to war against the Philistines, broke down the walls of God, Gebne and Ashur. He rebuilt towns near Ashur, elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines, against Arabs who lived in Gur, Baal and against the Mennonites and the Ammonites brought tributes to Uzziah. His fame spread. So if you look at verse 6 and 7, God was giving him incredible military victories. He sought him, he gave him military victories. Now if you come to verse 9 and 10, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, all the valley gate, at the angle of the wall, he fortified them. He also built towers in the desert, dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills, in the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills, in the fertile lands, for he loved husbandry, farming. So what does it mean? This is what governments try to do. You need to understand. No, the government doesn't have money. But if the government has money, they would pump like Trump wants to put in around one trillion into infrastructure. If you put one trillion in infrastructure, suddenly five million people will have jobs. Building, building, road construction, flyovers, everything, construction boom will go. Second, you want to pump in money like 1,000 crores or 1 lakh crores into agriculture. This is exactly what you did, infrastructure and agriculture. And God gave him success. Did you see how an administration changes when a man listens to God and God empowers him for the prosperity of the nation? Okay. Infrastructure. This is what every country is. Why did this guy win in Delhi? Two things. This is because he said schools. The people, Delhi, they are saying they are taking children out of private schools and putting them in yeah. government schools. Because he changed the education structure. Okay, and free clinics, Mahalas, everywhere free clinics. And second, he said if you are consuming electricity under 200 units, free. And he charges high for those who go over 600 because they let the rich pay for the poor. He did it. And he went after the private telecom and um, electricity companies who were fleecing the people. And he got that done. And he gives up to 500 liters or something free water. Okay, it's possible. It's possible. It's not that these things are impossible. Okay, that is, yeah, there is no issue. This is tipsy. You look over here. This is a man using faith. He sought God and God gave him success. He gave him success in all these areas. And then you go to verse 11. He has a well-trained army in divisions, trained in war. Verse 13, powerful forts. And if you look at verse 14, provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows, slingshots for the entire army. You know, 
Why does America have the largest army in the world? Because they have the largest economy in the world. You got a good economy, you need a good army to protect your economy. See, these are nothing new. These are all the structures of government has always worked in life. He's got, and they have new, new weaponry is coming. So advance. You can advance in any area in the world, technology, Japan or Germany, and armament, nobody comes anywhere near U.S. <laughs> Nowhere near U.S. Because they knew that's how they maintained their superiority. Okay, that's what God has given to this man as a king. Okay, military, armament. So every area as a nation is prospering. Now if you go to verse 3, what does it say? How old was he? Now, all those who are 16 years or older, show me your hands. Ah, when did he start seeking God? And have you started seeking God? How old is he? 16 years old. This is the difference. He started seeking God at the age of 16. Age of 16. You have to personalize these all things in your own life. In your own personal life. We are not talking about earthly success anymore in the new covenant, but you are talking about looking at, at 16, have you started seeking God? And we are new covenant people. How old was he? 16 years. Let me ask you this question. Did he succeed because of incredible leadership qualities? No. Did he succeed because he had great intelligence and wisdom than other kings in the world? Did he succeed because his education qualifications were matchless? No. The Bible doesn't mention any of those things. The only thing it mentions is because he sought God, God gave him success. That's it. He sought God, got him success. See, everything else is our resume. Everything else is our resume. One secret. He sought God. God gave him success. Moses sought God. God gave him victory. David sought God. God gave him victory. You look at all these people. They all had one thing in common. They sought God. But verse 5 says, second part, he sought God during the days of Zachariah who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So what does it mean? It means a time came when he stopped seeking God. Faith stopped. A time came when he stopped seeking God. And if you look, how do you know he stopped seeking God? Verse 16. NIV is easier to understand, but after Uzziah became powerful or successful, his pride God opposed us the God. Grace has stopped. Grace has stopped. Faith has stopped. Grace has stopped. Faith has stopped. Grace has stopped. Which led to his downfall. And God opposes him. Grace is cut off. Grace is cut off. Unlike his, we are not aware. In his case, he is very clearly aware because he in his pride tried to do something which he was not supposed to do. He started getting involved in ministry. He wouldn't have become a leper. Saul got involved in ministry in his pride and fear. Where is Samuel? 
Where is someone? This is the problem why we keep people out of ministry and say don't get don't get don't get involved because ministry is a very dangerous place. It's mm-hmm. only for the humble. It's not for the proud. All your intelligence, your wisdom, all your scholar all your scholarly knowledge is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. People die more at the pulpit than a coronavirus. <laughs> And have you noticed in real life, everybody has an opinion about the Bible. When they haven't heard. When they haven't heard. And the guys who have heard are like Job. I shut my mouth. I don't want to speak. Honestly. If Dr. Richard is here, Dr. David is there, um, and Beulah is there, we will never talk to them about medicine. (laughs) We will not talk about engineering to an engineer. We will not talk about aircraft maintenance to Srikanth or any. We will not. not. Everybody seems they are an expert about God. (laughs) That's what Uzziah did. Entered into the temple. Should have stayed outside the temple. He would have been still safe. Would have been still safe. Still safe. No, because faith comes from hearing. That's a, the main thing. Is it's, it's, it's the word of God is the most important thing. But you can have the word of God and read the word of God and studied the word of God and never heard. And absolutely sure until not absolutely it's hundred percent sure until Jesus stepped into at 30, none of them had heard from God. None of them had heard from God. None of Nicodemus, nobody had heard from God. Nobody had heard from God. Then Jesus stepped, they heard. Nobody had heard. Can you imagine incredible knowledge of the word of God and not have heard? Yet we have a God who speaks. God who speaks. And this is the key. All those who are young or old. He sought the Lord. God gave him success. Sought the Lord and God gave him success. See, this is the thing about it. You and I can be qualified in a thousand different areas. It still doesn't mean we know God. It still doesn't mean we glorify God in anything we do. It's our skill. That's why the Bible never says about anything else, only says about our works will be tested by fire. Have you noticed? It's very interesting. No? All our works will be tested by fire. In the first judgment, what was actually tested was their works. It, isn't it interesting when the first judgment took place in Noah's time, not a single thing floated. Not a single thing floated and could consistently flo- float and come through the flood. Maybe some floated for a week. But it was water was coming from all sides. And Noah was told very clearly, put pitch inside and outside. Cover. Completely pitch. Not even one drop should come in. He was the only one who had that instruction because he heard. Inside and outside. Nobody's structure floated. Nobody's structure came through the flood. In the new covenant, God says, because what? I mean, if somebody's structure floated, another family would have been saved. Because they did not die. 
because of the water they died because the construction could not handle the flood their works could not handle the flood right in the same way scripture says every man's work will be tested with what fire and many will come escaping through the fire because the only thing that survived was a foundation stone what is that you believed in jesus for salvation and believed in him for nothing else everything else you tried doing because you didn't want to hear anything further so you'll just come through the fire with salvation alone That's why hearing comes. That's why it is so important to hear. And don't confuse emotions with hear. Hearing is very clear. Very, very, very clear. It's very clear. He speaks. It's a God who speaks. He speaks. But to hear, you have to seek him. And a 16-year-old young boy sought. Young Josiah sought. And God spoke to him. Right? Jeremiah was a young teenager. How many years before the priest heard, he heard. Probably it was his own father. His father didn't hear, was working in the temple. The boy heard. And he said, I am a young man. God said, don't say I am young. Young people hear. Young people hear. And you have to put that first and say, Lord, I want to hear. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. And I silence all the other voices. And I am really going to seek you. And you will give me success in my spirit. You will give me. And then if he gives you success outside, good. Let him give you success. And seek him all the days of your life. Because a point came. Saya stopped seeking God. Which led to his downfall. He didn't endure till the end. He who endures till the end will be saved. Shall we pray? Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. At the end, O oh Lord, every work that is revealed in heaven will be the work of your spirit, of your grace alone. No man, no woman, no child will boast. No flesh will boast before you are thrown, Lord. It will be your faith and faith alone, O oh God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Help us to grow in our faith. We too pray like your disciples, Lord. Increase our faith, Lord. Increase our faith. Increase our faith, Lord. Help us to hear clearly, Lord, from you. And help us to grow stronger in our faith. Thank you, Father. You brought us safely here. And I pray and I believe you will reach everyone home safely. I pray for those who are not well within the body of Christ, Father. I continue to pray that you will reach out and you will touch them, Lord. Touch them and heal them. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.